You know, and I, I, I would encourage anybody to like, you know, we, we read, we read this, right? So your next podcast is going to be the next section. Yeah. So to stay ahead of Chad's take and read podcast and be like, all right, you know, I'm going to read this without the filter of Chad and then see what God teaches you through it yeah. and then listen. And then, and then hopefully this will shed some new light or you'll have yeah. a new perspective. I think, I think God, God can, it is absolutely using this podcast to encourage uh, brothers and sisters through the Bible. But man, the things he can do when you sit down alone with yeah, the buddy. Bible. When you think about the profound influence of the Bible on the world, the way that it has shaped our culture, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, it's probably a good idea that you know at least what it says. It's going to be about us taking and reading the Bible. All right, welcome back to yes, the Take and Read Podcast. Yes, As you indeed. can hear, there's no other voice quite like his. Right, 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 right. right, right These right, are right. the lyrical musings <laughs> of Chet. Sing. The, that's true. You <laughs> yeah, know, like, yeah. You got other uh, the, musicians that so, come on this thing. The verbal musings there of go. one the Chet slow, Garner, the deep, slow, rich reading yeah. <laughs> God's word, like the late night jazz program. But oh, I'll we got read, LJ. I was read. Oh, LJ's got me beat by the, far. The best was I had LJ on and I had him say some phrases mm. so that if anyone out there was listening and wanted to have his voice say things for them. <laughs> and I asked them to email in and no one has like requested, Hey, can you have LJ say this? But like I said, Hey, can you give us just a generic voicemail? Yeah. Uh, you know, answer <laughs> someone's voicemail. So he did. And that's and awesome. That, that brother has a voice. He sure. does indeed. Anyway, um, but yours is a rich, crisp, clear voice. Um, you know, the, one of the most insulting things that's ever been asked of me, and it's been asked multiple times, it's, hey, you're not from Texas. Where are you from? And I, you know, I'm like, what? 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 But then, and then I, there's based on my voice. And that, ha that started happening in high school. But then I've got other people who are like, man, you've got the most Texan voice I've ever heard. But I'm Because like, you don't exactly. have a thick draw or something? No, no clue. No idea. Huh. No idea. But uh, anyway, there you go. That's it. This is what God gave me. So have you ever been in a situation where because your livelihood depends on your ability to, you know, your voice, your your physical presence, like you're recording stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So have you ever gotten in a situation where everything's set, all the people are ready to go, you're going to be on location, you're going to film and... It just ain't in the cards because you're under the weather or you've got like a cold so, or the only thing that will stop me is if if I am just too hoarse to even talk. Okay. Yeah. 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 But yeah. you'll do things where Oh, I've I've gone we've filmed full episodes where I had the flu and hundred and three fever. Get out of here. Yeah. But there's no stopping the train. Yeah. My team's there. I'm there. Champion championship rounds, man. Yeah, dude. There's no wimping out when you're out there. I mean, you know, like the, I'm sure, like Granger's probably played sick. All these people paid to see you, dude. You're not gonna there have be... been times where, yeah, getting ready to preach or teach. Yeah, you've you've you, been there. You don't have a backup. You just no, gotta go. You got you gotta go. I remember there was one time I was in Monahans, Texas. I mean, we were way far out. That's West Texas, like you know, a couple of hours before you hit El Paso. 
this famous sand dunes are out there. And I stayed up all night just shaking with a fever through the roof in my bed, sweating, and had to wake up and put on the happy face, man. Wow. I don't think you can tell, but, you know, that's just me. What episode? Uh, Monahan's. Yeah, Monahan's episode. And then there's been other times where it's just like absolute garbage. But, you know, hey, wow, this barbecue is amazing. And then you can barely stomach it. Like, oh, I have to eat anymore. I'm going to die. Oh, give me another plate, brother. You know, like you just, you got to wolf it down, dude. Championship rounds. Everybody deals with it, you know? Yeah. 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 Just because you feel bad doesn't mean you get a, a free pass from parenting. I think you know? I think we come out of childhood with this belief that if I don't feel good, I don't have to go to school. So oh, as yeah. an adult, if I don't feel good, can I just get a pass? <laughs> and there's just you realize as an adult, that's oh, man. I've got friends. You know, there's like that stereotype of the guy that he could be barely sick and he's on the couch, like on his deathbed, like ah. that. That is, I can't get away with that. Mm. It, it doesn't matter how sick I am. I gotta go. I got to go to bat, you know? Yeah. Whether that's my team or my, most importantly, my, my family. Yeah. I don't get free passes. Yeah. Only if I'm like highly contagious flu deathbed, you know, I had a pretty bad like infection one time that just took me out. Only then did I get a free pass to like, Hey, go sleep for an hour or two and see Mm -hmm. how you feel when you're back. And then you come back like, all right, popped eight ibuprofen. (laughs) See how how I'm doing. Yeah. I've uh, always been curious about for you, somebody who travels quite a bit, you go into a town, you're going to, you know, obviously have uh, an idea of some restaurants. You're going to have some idea oh, of businesses. Yeah. All that's planned out. Right. And in advance, you know that. Yeah. But do you ever, like, are you ever there on a weekend where you're like, hey, I want to find a place to worship? Like, do you ever oh, we pop in and how do you go about identifying so where you would want to yeah. dive into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We always, if we're, so I, I only film the day tripper on the weekdays. Oh, okay. You know, it's a, it's a, for the most part, it's as normal of an hour job as I can okay. make it. Yeah. That way I've got the weekends for family. Mm-hmm. If I got something on the weekend, typically it's somewhere close. So I bounce out for a couple hours and then bounce back, you know, whether I've got a MC, a gala or whatever. And then uh, the times when I am remote for a full weekend, I try to bring a family member with me. Mm-hmm. Like Fielding and I just went up to Frisco because I had to, uh, most random junk. That's your oldest child. Yep. My yep. oldest child. He's yeah. 13. So he's of the age now. It's like, hey, hop in. Let's go. Let's go. You know, br- dad weekend. I've got to work for a couple hours. But other than that, we'll go eat, we'll watch a movie, right. you know, go bowling, whatever we want to do. And we were in Frisco. And it just so happens one of my good friends is now the worship leader at a church down there. Um, guys, I want to say it's Mosaic. It's not. Another one that okay. I know, Kyle Worley, is at Mosaic. Yeah. This is at Citizens, Citizens Church in Plano. Okay. So yeah. Michael Bleeker was at the village with Matt Chandler. Now he's out uh, leading worship with Jam and Roller at Citizens. And I've been dying to hear him and okay. go to that church. So, bam, we got it. Yeah. Um, We've gone to the village a couple mm-hmm. times because uh, I Matt I love Matt Chandler's preaching. Yeah, um, you know, for what say what you will. We were in Houston once on a Sunday morning. I'm like, Joel, let's go to Lakeshore. Joel Osteen, let's go see what the show is. And I'm not going to get into it, but you know, that was just one <laughs> of the things where you're like, there's there's literally 
15,000 people at this church on a Sunday morning. Wow. Like, what does that look like? What does it feel like? How do they get people in and out of a basketball arena to do it? And so we went and it was everything you see on TV. I mean, it was the big show. And uh, yeah, like I said, I'm not going to get into it. But like, then, you know, we try, there are, not, not in small towns so much, but in big cities, there are churches that we've always wanted to go to if we have an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so if we're in Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, whatever, um, next time I'm in San Antonio, I'll go to Max Licato's church. Never been there. So you clearly have a criteria of here's here's something that I find attractive in a church, which makes me want to go there. If you had to kind of mm. reduce that down to you know basics, what are you, what is it that you think is attracting you? Is it preaching? Is it an experience? Always, is it I, the worship? First and foremost, it's preachers. So if if a preacher has piqued my interest just because I hear them or find them on social media, now see we got ability to be exposed to all of these great right. preachers that we were never able to follow before, and so I follow tons of pastors and just kind of if I if I feel drawn to their style or like really gather a lot of value out of what they say, mm-hmm. and you know hopefully there's a discernment there in my. Sp- in the spirit within me that says like, all right, this guy's dropping truth. I would love to go and worship at his church. Yeah. I love, I I wish churches didn't have any walls, right? I love, Mm -hmm. I, I, I am a member of God's kingdom, God's church, you know, here. And I worship at this local body, with this local body. The people up there, we're all going to be in heaven singing praises to Jesus together. Let me go and enjoy that on earth with them. Mm -hmm. So I love going into other churches and the preaching, but just kind of experiencing experiencing a revelation from God through a pastor, worshiping with people I don't know, kind of feeling that like, man, there are people gathered all over the globe doing this. Like I would love to worship with as many different groups as I possibly could. Yeah. Just just to experience that. So pastor pastoral uh wisdom first. And then there are some other things like uh I, I did not go to Joel Osteen's church to hear his pastoral wisdom. I went there to see the the to experience what has become a huge spectacle of um yeah, I, I, we could argue a lot about is that real Christianity, well, and the, is it health and wealth, you know, how is he, he's got, he's doing something that's attracting these huge crowds, pray before you go, go in there and see what is he doing, is he hitting the mark, is he missing the mark, is this, does this trouble my spirit, does this affirm my spirit, you know, like, let me, let me see what he's doing, because he's under the banner of Jesus, and I am a Christian, you know, sealed by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Let me go and and kind of experience that so I can know the truth firsthand when other people ask me about it. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of pastors out there, right, preaching the health and wealth kind of thing, which for those that know their Bible does not line up with the Bible. Right. It just simply doesn't line up with the Bible. Joel Osteen is one of those people who's thrown in that bucket all the time. You know, if you pray hard enough, if you believe hard enough, if you just don't listen to criticism, believe in yourself, and your your future is bright and it's coming around the corner, God wants you to be happy. Yeah, that's what, not consistent. That, that, with, ain't, that ain't in yeah, here, yeah. right? That's not. It's just not in here. And so, but he's amassing these huge crowds, and I just I wanted to experience it firsthand, um, just to kind of know 
what it was. And there's a lot of, there's a lot that aches my spirit on those big churches like that. Yeah. Um, Cause the health and wealth thing is just not a biblical principle. So it, it roots us back. Like, how do you know if someone's preaching biblical truth or not? You well, have you, to know the Bible. You have to know yeah. the Bible, right? Exactly. That's yeah. it. And so we all have to know this book well enough to where we can discern when someone else is out there, because it says there will be wolves in sheep's clothing. Right. Even the devil masquerades as angels of light. So these things are out there that we should always have our guard up. And as someone who can not necessarily, as someone who can observe something and not get sucked into it, that's why I like to go to those churches. And I think that's the point. I think you... Yeah, for anyone listening right now, and you're like, yeah, how do you go and find a church? There are some things that that you have to to take into consideration, and um, you know, you want to appeal to other people maybe and get some feedback from them, uh, maybe other believers that are further along in their walk or more mature in their walk to kind of help you figure out a good place. But it is is the, the church preaching the 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 gospel? And yeah. are they are they biblically aligned? Uh, and and so that's that's a, a first stop. And using the Bible as the grid with which you will then measure all statements, opinions made yeah. by a pastor or a teacher or anybody in that context, that it can never be based on our opinion, our feelings, our wishes, and our wants. It has to be the Bible being the the kind of plumb yeah, line that that we're we're measuring everything else. And everything so else. I think that's an important point that you make. And that's what brings us together today, my friend. Yeah, that's right. Is that's right. We want to take and read the scriptures and we've been making our way through the gospel of Mark um, since you were last, last with us. Yeah. I mean, this is episode 40. That's a big marker. moment. Yeah. Now in 10 more, it's going to be bigger. Yeah, buddy. I don't yeah, know who you're going to have on that one. You know, I'm going to throw my name in the hat. Right, right, right. Bit, you know. Um, but 40, 40 episodes and we have just kind of crested over the middle of the gospel of Mark. So hey. here we are, we're in chapter nine. And, uh, so we're kind of making our way, uh, you know, after that, that kind of pinnacle moment. So that's cool. Well, congrats, Chad. Um, gospel Mark is the, the earliest kind of account of the life and ministry we have of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we understand it to be the product of Peter's preaching and teaching. Uh, so recorded by John Mark, and he is making the case that Jesus, the, the gospel, this is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the son of God, and that Jesus of Nazareth, a, a real human in human history was in fact, God incarnate, that God took on flesh, became a human, and walked this earth, and was the one that was prophesied and and talked about and anticipated for uh, hundreds of years by God's people mm. to bring about in human history the culmination of what God had started from the very beginning. Even before the Garden of Eden, God had in his mind this plan that this is plan A, not plan B. It's not like in Genesis 3 when humanity fell in the Garden of Eden that all of a sudden now God's got to scrap plan A and and find an alternative plan. But to realize this is actually all plan A, and it's like my kids love to ask the question, well, if God knew Adam and Eve were going to sin, why'd they even, why did he put them in there? And why do you, I don't know, but I know that in the fullness of time and in his perfect wisdom, this is the best. This is the best plan. And it's playing out. Yeah. 
And so what we have here in the Gospel of Mark is a continuation of that account, and we're in chapter 9. And what's kind of been culminating or or building up up until the middle of chapter 8 was this idea of Jesus demonstrating authority over the demonic, so the the spiritual realm, over the physical realm, over sicknesses and disease, uh, over winds, waves, storms, big things, small things, like he's demonstrating he's got authority. He's teaching as one who has authority. They've recognized, man, he teaches different than the scribes. He Somehow what he says is like authoritative. Yeah, yeah. And it's like his. I think they all felt like gut punches. You know, the yeah. Pharisees are kind of up there repeating yeah. practice prayers and kind of windbagging. Yeah, they're... And Jesus would say something like, whoa, snap. You know? It's real. Yeah. That, that has a little, little kick to it. Yeah. So then it culminates in the confession of Peter in chapter eight, when Jesus says to the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they go, well, some are saying Elijah, some are saying John the Baptist. And he's like, who do you say that I am? And that's when Peter confesses, you're the Christ. And so from that moment, there's this then realization of, okay, if that's who they confess, if that's what they now believe based on all that they've experienced and all that he's taught, now we see that there's this new understanding of what the Messiah is that is coming to be, that there's maybe some built-in expectation they have of what the Messiah should be, what he should accomplish. And so there's times where he will predict his death and resurrection and his rejection by the religious authorities. And they're like, what? And there's this, like right after Peter confesses, you're the Christ, Jesus says, okay, we're going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be rejected by the elders and the rulers and the authorities. And that's when Peter, it says, Peter rebukes Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, no, no, no. (laughs) And then Jesus pulls him aside, looks and sees the others watching and then rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. So this is a pivotal moment where there's clearly their understanding of what the Messiah really is about isn't clear. Like they're still coming into an understanding of, what it means that he, okay, he is the Messiah. We get that. But now they're having to relearn what that means. Yeah. It's, I don't think they get it until, I mean, Pentecost really. Yeah. And I I maybe they get it after the resurrection, but like he dies and they're like, well, there goes that plan. You know, like they kind of scatter and they're hopeless. And so their whole, you know, throughout the new Testament, well, I, I think what they had all been taught as a Jewish person, you were taught that the Messiah was going to come. He was going to rule on the throne of David, which meant um, political power, military, military prowess, power, yeah. mm-hmm. and they're occupied by this Roman government. And their hope is Messiah comes, kicks out Rome, and we we go back into the golden age of Israel, mm-hmm. and that's it. And we can rule ourselves, and we don't back have Big like Brother the Rome. Days of Solomon and yeah. the, the glory days. Yeah, right? the glory days. And they're hoping that somehow this guy Jesus from Nazarene, like the Nazarene, can help them. Now they're kind of putting pieces together, so they don't quite get it. Yeah, but they're like they're holding out that somehow he's going to amass this army, and we're going to be able to take this throne. Yeah. And what they don't see is that Rome's not the issue. Oh, yeah, yeah. Rome is not the bad guy. Caesar's not the bad guy. And even the religious authorities aren't necessarily the bad guy. The issue is this world is is being ruled and, and is overrun by the authority of Satan. 
and he rules through sin and death. And God. sin and death reigns. Isn't that so, so true still? I mean, like, and so what he's world. doing is he's overthrowing principalities yeah. and powers and rulers of the air, not of the physical realm. And they don't get that, that yet. Nope. Nope. And that may play a role into what we see in this passage that we're going to look at here. Okay. All right. So here we are. We're going to be in chapter nine. And we're in a, a very interesting little snippet uh, in verses two through 13. So a small little pericope here that, um, kind of Ooh. chapter eight flew, uh, was flowing into verse one of chapter nine. And he talks about the cost of following him. And then we see uh, this event that's called, you know, if you, if you look in your Bible, there's a little heading there. It probably says the transf- transfiguration, right? So Jesus is transfigured or he changes his figure momentarily. And a couple of disciples get to see that. So that's the that's the moment that we get to look at today. We are reading out of the New English Translation, the NET Bible. So if you're following along at home or, um, yeah, you're trying to figure out what we're reading from and you're like, hey, this doesn't line up. The New English Translation is a, a really cool translation. Um, I'll feature it here on the podcast uh, fairly regularly. And... Uh, yeah, you can go look up the NET Bible and see the translation philosophy, but it's a really good one, and I enjoy it, and hopefully you do too. All right. All right, here we go. Uh, Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 2. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and led them alone up a high mountain privately. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiantly white, more so than any launderer in the world could bleach them. Then Elijah appeared before them along with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. So Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. For they were afraid and did not know what to say. (laughs) Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my one dear son. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore except Jesus. As they were coming down from the mountain, he gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept this statement to themselves, discussing what this rising from the dead meant. Then they asked him, Why did the experts in the law say that Elijah must come first? He said to them, Elijah does indeed come first and restores all things. And why is it written that the son of man must suffer many things and be despised? But I tell you that Elijah has certainly come and they did to him whatever they wanted, just as it is written about him. Mm. Very interesting. There's a lot of stuff. here. Yeah, there is. Um, There is. So one of the things that we want to start out with is do we understand what's being said? So are there words? Are there phrases? Is there a location? Who's present? You know, kind of who are the players? What's the scene? Yeah. You being somebody who is directs things and tells stories professionally, like <laughs> what are the story elements here yeah. that we've got to make sure we got clarity on all that first, then we'll get into meaning. Okay. okay. All right. Yeah. You, you get this really intimate moment. Right. And mm-hmm. so you've got these great big moments in Mark, the feeding of the 5,000, 4,000, and then like all, yeah, you got these moments of crowds and chaos. Right. Very this public. Is very public. This is a very intimate moment. So yeah. Jesus 
takes three of his disciples, which we often see he has this like inner circle. He's got right. 12 disciples, right? But he's got three that he kind of like is is mentoring more directly. Right. They get to be a part of things like when he heals a, a girl who appears to be dead and raises her. Oh, yeah. And he they he brings Peter, James, and John. There's there's times where he draw the, draws these three out, mm-hmm. and they they're privy to things that the others aren't. And some anticipate, well, it's because of the role that they were going to play upon his death, resurrection, and ascension. There was things they needed to see, experience, understand, possibly. So there's speculation. We don't know why. We don't know why. But but he had these three. Yep. And it's often used as a template for leadership. Have a bigger group of like 12, but then have a group of three right. that's more like the inner circle. Yeah. Um, and so these are his three. And he takes them away up into this private place on top of a mountain. Mm -hmm. And as you know, I I can only imagine it's sort of like the end of the day, sun is setting sort of, and all the golden hour, the golden hour, right? That's when you shoot movies. (laughs) So it's the golden hour on top of this mountain. And suddenly Jesus gets this, like, I, it it feels like a moment from a Marvel movie. Like he sort of like his clothes start glowing and it's the words in here are funny that more radiantly white than any launderer in the world can right. bleach them. I love them. it. Like, I love it. So this is their way of saying like glowing, kind of. Yeah. Like, maybe, maybe kind of glowing, but kind of not. But you can just imagine this like, like I guess what I'm seeing is like Captain Marvel as she's like got the yeah, energy there's flowing this out of her, almost a light emanating from him yeah. that is just so pure and bright and illuminating illuminating and he's got this white smock on or tunic and it's kind of just brightly glowing and then all of a sudden we get two other you know of the key characters of the old testament join him yeah we get moses who was the you know the the man who uh, led israel out of egypt and then created or i mean he gave the people the law he was the conduit by which god gave the people the mosaic law that the old testament the jews like lived by uh, and you get Elijah, who was the prophet. largest prophet, arguably, in the Old Testament. So you, right? And I think that's important to note. You draw out that you have a, a lawgiver mm. and a prophet. And oftentimes, to summarize the Old Testament and to summarize what the way God had spoken to his people in the past was through the law and the prophets. Mm. The law, and yeah, the, the law, the law, and the prophets. So here testify. you have represented the two individuals that, for uh, the Jewish community, would have loomed largest in those categories. Oh, okay, yeah, that's good. I okay. thought about it. Yeah, the law and the prophets. Things turn on the law and the prophets. And, right? and Jesus says, "I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it." Right, and yeah. he is now the final prophet. Like he's going to be yeah. the last speaker on God's behalf. Yeah. Right, the voice of God. And so, yeah, there's this this element to where these two represent and are communing with Jesus in a way that anyway, we can get into that in the meaning. But. Sure. Yeah. 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 But, but I see, I see, I see where you're going with that. I like it. I like it. And so Peter who just, you know, he's always saying the <laughs> stupidest thing or the dumbest thing. I mean, I think I love Peter because he puts his foot in his mouth, just like I would, you know, like just kind of always has good intentions. I think, 
Um, and so he, he's, <laughs> his funny. words are great. Like, it is good for us to be here. Like, we are worthy. Let's make three shelters, one for you and Moses and Elijah. Yeah. And he says, they were afraid and did Didn't not know, know what, what to, to say. say. So he's just like babbling, like, this is, we're going to build houses. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're build shelters for y'all. And like, yeah. I, I imagine they're on top of this like Middle Eastern mountain. There's no, it's like some stones yeah. and some sticks and scrub bushes. Like, what are you talking about, Peter? You're not building anything out of anything. And I don't know what, I don't know what is, what the, the instinct there was, if it was one of like out of reverence, that's what like I think similar to the temple or yeah. the Holy of Holies where there, you know, places of worship would require a, a tent or something like that where yeah, the house it, it becomes of, sacred of meeting. or holy, but you know, and then the old Testament had a practice of when, when God would do something big, they would build an altar or a, you know, a, a some sort of stack of rocks mm-hmm. as a play, a way to remember what God had done. And so I think Peter's like, Oh, you know, this is what we do when yeah. something big happens. We build a, he says shelters, like people would build an altar, yeah. you know? Uh, and so, but he wants that. And he he wants to build them. And then God's voice kind of breaks that moment as Peter and James and John, I can only imagine, are just sort of like stunned and babbling right. a little bit. They're seeing Jesus transfigured. So his figure changes, transforms yeah. in front of their eyes to this translucent luminary kind of glowing right. Jesus. You know, in there's him is these light. There's two figures his... that appear similar to him now yeah. and are conversing with him. Then there's this cloud that appears, yep. and a voice comes from it, just like it did at his baptism, mm, yep. where he, from son. the cloud, says, this is my son, yeah. in whom yeah, I'm well, well pleased. pleased. And and there's similar phrasing here, like this endorsement of- This is my one dear son, listen to him. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this kind of, yeah, there's this interesting thing, and Jesus intentionally wants Peter, James, and John to experience this. Yeah. And then, but it ends even quicker than it began. Mm-hmm. And so I imagine you get this climactic moment. He's They've got Moses shows up, and then Elijah shows up, and then the voice of God shows up, and then all of a sudden, shoop, it's gone. It's and gone. Like, what did we just see? Did we just, was that some, yeah. some bad huh? hummus we had yeah. or what? Like, <laughs> right. what happened? She didn't cook the fish the whole way, Peter. <laughs> so like, um, so... Of course, they got questions, and so they start asking Jesus so questions. So now they're, they're hiking down they're the hiking mountain. They're hiking down, like, and I can only imagine, it was probably a pretty quiet hike, like, what the heck just happened? And he's like, they're, they're, they're processing this, and then he orders them, or commands, it's an imperative. Yeah, don't tell anybody about this. Guys, what you just saw stays with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't tell mm-hmm. anybody. And they're like, okay, Until after yeah. the Son of Man is risen from the dead. Yeah. And they're like, so there's a time they can speak of it, yeah. but there's a reason why, for some reason, not yet. And then they're like, wait a minute, what's this rising from the dead business? Yeah. What does that have to do with anything? Uh Do not. And it's not the first time that he's alluded to that, right? Because Peter, you know, that after the confession, he's like, the son of man must, you know, be subject to these things and then die and rise again and, and be resurrected. And so- this isn't the first time that he's he's done this, and and it's still something that they're like, we do not understand what this means. Yeah, like, no, this does not zero, compute. Zero doesn't. There's a category, and this isn't in it. Like, 
Sure. You're the Messiah. I don't know what that means. When you say that you're going to die. <laughs> and died. then rise yeah. again. What? Messiah don't die. He, he, he goes to the throne of David and rules. And one of the things that um, it's important to note about this in the area of like Christian apologetics and defending the faith, oftentimes when people will talk about um, the legitimacy of Jesus as the Christ and whether or not that's something that we can believe in, and they'll accuse the early Christians of um, that it was uh, hallucination. And they'll say, well, those appearances that happened after, you know, his death, you know, and it was just, they were hallucinating this and it wasn't real. It was just in their imagination. The reality of that though is, and psychologists have affirmed that for hallucination to happen, somebody has to have the, the hopeful anticipation of a thing or an event that they hallucinate. And what this, like over and over again, it becomes clear that the apostles, the disciples, did not have a concept of resurrection. As Good much point. as he talked about it, yeah, they're like, "What?" Yeah. And yeah. this is one of those where, like, we don't, we don't, we don't the, get it. Yeah, the, the rising from the dead. We don't know what that means. They do, then they walk down. Like I imagine, Jesus is in the lead. He's kind of trudging down the mountain a little faster than they are. And they're discussing what rising from the dead meant. And yeah. so he's in front of them and they're kind of behind me like, hey, what's, what's he talking about? Like, we just saw him with Moses and Elijah and God. Like, we, we've we picked the right guy. This guy's the Messiah. Yeah. And he's going to, he's he's destined to the throne. He's going to rescue us. Um, What is he talking about? Death and rising from the dead. And so um, then they come up with this question it's like, wait, but, but before the Messiah can come, Elijah has to come. Uh, and they ask him that. And he's like, yep, Elijah does come first. As why is it written that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be despised? And, and he says, basically, Elijah has already come. And we know that Elijah did come in the Old Testament, but we have a New Testament Elijah as well. Yeah. Um, which was, of course, John the Baptist. Yep. Making way as a prophet in the wilderness, yep. a voice crying out in the wilderness, make way. Make straight your path for the Lord, yeah. and so, but they didn't. They didn't get that either, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, there's almost like, like if if I think about this story, there's three scenes. There's this mountaintop scene, mm-hmm. and they're they're heading up. They arrive at the mountain. The transfiguration happens. All of this spectacular thing happens, and then yep. it's over. And then there's the they're walking down the the mountain, and they're like, man, and he's like. Don't talk about this. Don't tell anybody until the Son of Man rises from the dead. And they're like, eh. and then this new scene where he's talking about Elijah and what the they're like, okay, um, why do experts in the law say that? And so now it's just like lesson time. Like, teach us a little bit about the, yeah. the history. And he's trying to let them know that yes, experts in the law talk about this, and it's it's been fulfilled. And so maybe they're connecting that to what they just saw because it does say that then Elijah appeared before them. And so then they're talking about Elijah must come first. So was that, was that the Elijah coming first? Like yeah, did that, that just that, get fulfilled? It, it happened. And so are we good? But as you reference, and there's other places where that direct connection to John the Baptist, the spirit of Elijah has come in John the Baptist. 
is been made, and that's what we understand in retrospect. We can look at that. Yeah, we go, okay, he was But he's having to, to unpack that for them. Yeah, and, and at the end, he says, and I tell you, Elijah has certainly come, and they did to him whatever they want, just as it is written about him. And Elijah got, I mean, John the Baptist got beheaded. Yes, right? which, I mean, that's... He got imprisoned and beheaded, so they did to him just as they wanted. Which has been accounted for earlier in this gospel. So as yeah. you think about, like, Okay, what does this mean for the disciples there present, as well as the early recipients of Mark's gospel? They're now getting this this narrative of the life and ministry of Jesus, and they've already been reminded of what happened to John the Baptist and what Herod did and why he did it. And he was afraid that as he's hearing about Jesus, is that John the Baptist raised from the dead? You know, there's there's been these allusions to Jesus, John the Baptist. And even when he asks them, who do you say that I am? They're like, well, some say Elijah and some say John the Baptist. He's like, well, what do you say? say? (laughs) And so there's this, there's this continuing kind of, as Jesus is going about and his authority is being experienced and he's teaching and demonstrating his authority, these kind of connections to the story of Israel and the prophets of Elijah must come first. Elijah, like, is this Elijah? Is then is the Messiah coming after this guy? Yeah. And then people going to John the Baptist, like, are you the Messiah? And he's like, no, no, no. 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 Yeah, yeah. One yeah. who's not me. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Yeah. But one's going to come after me. And it's like, okay, are you certain to see that? Yes, Elijah has come. John the Baptist is that one who came in advance. And so it's interesting to see some of these kind of Jewish story kind of lines come into play and he's having to clarify some things. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, I think, I mean, they weren't, you know, the disciples were normal fishermen and they, they weren't exactly like the well-educated, learned, but they would have had a lot of these things that they'd been taught Mm -hmm. since the beginning. And so some of the symbolism I think can get lost on people who didn't grow up Jewish, but for them, it had, had a lot more meaning. Very deep. Yeah. Right. Very deep meaning. Like they didn't have to consult the law to know that they had been taught that Elijah comes, then the yep. the Messiah comes. So there is probably a lot of confusion in their head because they've been taught something and now it's getting fulfilled in a different kind of way yep. than what they've been taught. And I always like to think of, you know, we've got revelation here at the end of the Bible and there's certainly people who think they see a linear way revelation unfolds. And I think when the end times actually come, it's going to feel like this did to the disciples. Mm-hmm. Wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. It was supposed to happen this way. Like, no, no, no. Y'all were reading that wrong. Yeah. You know, it's actually getting fulfilled some other way because God, you know, God in his infinite wisdom just has a way of pulling things yeah. off that defy human logic or our understanding of what we think we know. God is coming in to say, just to step in and say, you know, I've got a plan that is bigger, more extensive, multi, more multi-generational than you could ever imagine in your brain. Yeah, yeah. So. And I think that, yeah, for this particular incident in the, the Gospels, for that early community as they receive this Gospel, I think it's doing some of that. It's, it's re-establishing uh, their understanding around kind of historical teachings and understandings and maybe resetting some expectations around yeah, yeah, yeah. For what this sure. means, who this is, but also 
affirming you're right in in identifying that Elijah must come well, he first. He will. He will. You're right in that. It just understand that's already happened. Uh, yeah. And what, what you saw on the mountain, <laughs> like that, that guy, wasn't it. That wasn't it. <laughs> Who's that like, dude eating locusts? Yeah. And like looking crazy in the wilderness? And so I think, you know, as we wrestle with, okay, if this is what it means, like he's, he's reorienting their understanding of the story, their place in the story, what God is doing, what the Messiah means, what, what affirms his Messiahship. Um, I think there's also a sense of he's he's redrafting expectations for them around what they think they know about mm. him, who God is, and what they can expect. It doesn't mean that the character and nature of God changes. No, it just means their their expectations of that God of the Old Testament of the Law and the Prophets that that they're in the presence of of the guy, mm. the Messiah. Yeah. And I think, and so for us today, how do we experience that meaning that they would have wrestled with, that they would have experienced not only Peter, James, and John, but also the the early recipients of this gospel? What is it that you, Chet, as a follower of the Lord, as a son of the Most High God, what do you go, okay, Dad, here's your word for me today. What do I need to take away from this episode in the scriptures? I read this story, and what I take away is God's ways are higher than our ways, mm-hmm. and God is always doing things. And even when we don't understand it from our human perspective, um, it doesn't mean that God's talking nonsense. God has a perfect plan that's playing out over the generations. There was a reason he only took Peter, James, and John up there. There was a reason he revealed the law and the prophets yeah. to them. And there's a reason that they don't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, because our, you know, we now we see in part, so we only understand in part, but in future we will see in full and understand in full, like once we get to heaven. Like that's and so there's just there's just gonna be things that happen that we go, now that's a head scratcher, man. I don't know, but God does, and God's infinite plan is working out here in front of me, and I get to experience some things, but I don't I'm not necessarily gonna understand everything. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm not gonna understand everything. Yeah. So that that's kind of what I take away. I think we see a a a very clear uh narrative. This happened and this happened and this happened and then they said this and he said this. Um so there's no questions really in the what of happened, but the why did it happen? Yeah, I don't know. And I for for me as I wrestled through this text and this is the first time that as as I've read this text first time I've ever seen this, but seeing the character of God on display in his willingness to pull Peter, James, and John aside to let them experience that and also know they're going to not fully understand what they just experienced. They're going to have questions. They're going to begin to wrestle with this concept of the Messiah and the timeline and what God is up to through Christ and that he's willing to take the time to help reframe their understanding Mm. rather than just going and doing it. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. Kind of letting that come out in the wash and go, well, yeah, (laughs) you'll get it eventually. Like, yeah, but he, he consistently is taking the time to challenge their existing understanding. That's maybe a little off 
and invite them into a, a, a deeper understanding of him. And I've, I look back on my life and go, there are times where he could have just done it and didn't need to bring me along in it, but he did. Like he brought me into, and it wasn't always pleasant, but was, was loved me enough to dr- pull me into a deeper understanding of who he is, even though it was challenging and mm. difficult. But that's yeah. his character is he's not content to just leave us the way he finds us or let us to kind of run amok with with wrong understanding. If we truly are pursuing him and desire his way above our ways and trust his infinite wisdom, as you said, above our own limited perspective, like he's going to carefully bring us along and he's going to open us to, to greater understanding of who he is and what he's up to. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's great. Good stuff. That that that's a key takeaway right there. Yeah, buddy. To, to help people reframe in their own life. Like, man, why is this happening? I don't understand. Uh, to help them reframe and re say, God, you're doing something in work, working, and it's mm-hmm. hard. Um, but I'm going to trust that you've got a bigger plan and to reframe their own thinking of right. like, this doesn't have to all make sense. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Chet, thanks for being here today. Hey, always an honor. Uh, for those of you who have tuned in and maybe have questions, uh, we certainly uh, turned over a lot of rocks that we didn't talk about. Um, there's a <laughs> lot of stuff in this passage that could probably be explored. And so if you have questions, please email me at takeandreadpodcast at gmail.com. If you have a question for Chet, uh, I'll be sure to get that to him and send that his way. But so glad you're tuning in. Again, you've gotten to just walk for a, a little bit through a text with two guys that completely believe this to be true. 100% the Word of God, true and reliable, and we believe this to be a document like no other. We believe the Bible is not just a product of humanity, not just a guys that wrote it down, but we believe it to be the inspired Word of God, that God, by His Spirit, spoke through these human individuals, and everything He wants us to know and understand about Him has been put into this text. And so we find this to be not just a good idea, but a lifeline. Um, I can speak for Chet in that regard, that this is something that he finds to be vital to his life and to his ability to follow Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. That's right. Amen. So please, uh, yeah, if you have questions, uh, do the whole thing where you're like, you smash the like button, you share, you leave emojis, uh, you do the Comment, stuff. like, subscribe, whatever. Yeah, what, yeah. what am I supposed to say? <laughs> I don't know. And it changes all the time. Yeah, do yeah, the stuff yeah. you're supposed to do. All the things. Because all that does is it helps other people find us. Yep. And I just want to get more and more people taking and reading the Word of God. So if you've joined us for the first time, there's a whole lot. You've got 39 episodes prior to this to catch up on. So, man, you can totally binge the Take and Read podcast. I don't know if that's ever been done. Yeah, you but, can. But uh, if you yeah, got a road trip coming your way, hey, dial it in. Um, yeah. You know, and I, I, I would encourage anybody to like, you know, we, we, read, we read this, right? So your next podcast is going to be the next section. Yeah. So to stay ahead of Chad's Take and Read podcast – and be like, all right, you know, I'm going to read this without the filter of Chad and then see what God teaches you through it yeah. and then listen. And then and then hopefully this will shed some new light or you'll yeah. have a new perspective. I think I think God God can it is absolutely using this podcast to encourage uh, brothers and sisters through the Bible. 
But man, the things he can do when you sit down alone with yeah, the buddy. Bible too. So I think those two things in concert will just grow a faith. Yeah. You, as you said, there's no mystery where I'm going next. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, the next episode is going to be the next <laughs> yeah. uh, kind of logical section in Mark chapter nine. Yeah, so, so read that before yeah. he does and see what God teaches you through it. That's a good word. Yeah. Good word. Well, thanks for being here, brother. Anytime. And for those out there, go take and read the word of God. Blessings. <laughs> thanks for having me in Montana here. 